Okay, let me start by saying that the reason we're recording this is because at every month I want everyone to see the same information. So some of the things are going to seem kind of strange to you because it's meant directly for our rotating residents as well, but I think it's equally applicable to everybody here. So hopefully this will kind of get you off on the, the right step here and we'll jump right in the emergency room and be able to work effectively. So that's me. Anyway, a few points that we're going to cover. Uh, first of all, just some basic rules of the emergency room. And uh, after that, that's like two slides. And then how to manage the, the grease board, which is kind of a new function. We'll talk about documentation, which to me is probably the most important part of this talk because my job is to get as much money for this department as possible. So please don't consider that I am a miser or Simon Legree or anything else. It's just my job, okay? And then uh, IPR, we'll talk about that, how to make a note on IPR, because you're going to have to do that. And then just in general, how you can get stuff done in a quick and rapid fashion in the emergency room. So some of the rules. Um, this is actually very similar. We uh, uh, went with 180 clinical hours for interns, 10-hour uh, shifts, so expect 18, unless you're on vacation, it will be 14. I don't know if Hans made any deals with any to do two weeks of vacation in a month or not, but uh, we can work around that if we have to. But uh, usually we don't do that, but uh, it's up to Hans. But anyway, expect that. Um, you can thank your upper-level colleagues uh, who insisted that you get 10-hour shifts and uh, we're very adamant about it. I was, okay, why not? So, <laughs> uh, we do need to follow all the ACGME rules. And so if you do make a trade, and we'll talk about trades in a minute, can't work 24 hours in a row, can't work seven days in a row. I think we did that a couple times last year and we're probably gonna get dinged for it, but uh, just keep that in mind, that uh, there, are, there are rules and Joanne's kind of the final arbitrator on that. Uh, everybody has to go to Thursday morning EM conferences. Um, there's no exceptions to that. If you're scheduled to work uh, you know, Thursday morning, you come to the EM conference. As soon as the conference is done, you come down to the emergency room because the PAs that are covering for you need to go out and get something to eat. So uh, try to get down there as fast as you can after conferences. So uh, probably won't like is if you go to conference at last till 12.30 and then you go to lunch till 1.30 and then I'll probably be looking at you kind of funny when you show up at 2. So <laughs> uh, trades um, for our residents. Um, you can trade um, with the, the rotating residents as well because they're all on the same kind of schedule. Uh, feel free to do that. I would ask you to go through Joanne because she has to keep track of all these things and make sure everybody's following the rules. And she'll usually send me an email or Hans and one of us will approve it. But uh, trades aren't a big issue, I don't think, at this point. So, uh, Just my rule, get there five minutes early. Plan to stay late and finish your patients. If you know you have to be somewhere exactly at 7 o'clock and your shift ends at 7 o'clock, make a deal with the resident that comes on to replace you to come in a little bit earlier so you can get out of there. It's never going to happen that you're going to get out of seven. I mean, it's pretty rare. Uh, chart completion. Uh, we expect you to have your charts done at the end of the shift. It doesn't always happen that way. I understand there are exceptions. That happens to me as well. Uh, 24 hours, I think, is reasonable to have a chart completed, at least uh, so the staff physician can finish it. I think after that it starts to get a little dull and losing your mind a little bit and you won't remember all the details. Um, and if you do get one that's a little bit older than that, please get to it as soon as you can. We'll send you an email, but it doesn't happen very often. So. All that stuff clear so far? Good. And I threw this one in for caves. Um, this is new for us. We're uh, transitioning into our department where really the senior residents are going to be running things. Up until this year it was the staff and then the residents were kind of helping us and you know they're seeing patients, but we really seen all the patients ourselves and uh, this year the senior residents are really in charge down there and we have enough resident coverage that they may be you know signing patients to you and 
uh, trying to get things moving, and that's really their responsibility as third-year residents. And uh, they're going to be signing patients to you if necessary. And um, the rotating residents, uh, sorry, don't get involved with the trauma. You're welcome to go in and watch, but uh, uh, that trauma roles have all been set up by uh, negotiating between us and trauma. So we'd rather the uh, the rotating residents don't get involved with trauma. Certainly, you guys are going to have to, but uh, we'll get into that later when Russie starts talking to you about the, the roles in trauma. So. All right, anybody know who this guy is? Probably not. If you ask the upper levels, they'll know. Um, this is Leonidas. Um, he is a king of Sparta that died in Thermopylae around 500 BC or so. And the reason I bring up Leonidas and Sparta is they had a great quote. It was, with your shield or on it. And what that meant is that these shields are about six feet high. And the only way to run away from the enemy was to drop your shield. If you came home without your shield, you were a pussy. And <laughs> they didn't want you back in their group. So how that applies to emergency medicine. What that amends in emergency medicine is that uh, if you're sick, if you're so sick you can't work, you come in and get evaluated. Because we do shift work. When you get out in the real world and you're working and you say, oh, I got a flu, there's no one to cover the emergency room. And some very disgruntled partner of yours is going to have to come in and work. Now, we have people that can cover sick and, you know, if you're, if you're really sick, we can get somebody to cover for you. But, um, you know, if you have sniffles or you have a headache, or, you know, your ankle hurts, you're still coming into work. And, you know, if we need to take a look at you, we'll take a look at you. You get free health care as a resident, so don't worry about it. We'll make you feel better. All right. General ETC stuff. We see about 36,000 patients a year, and we admit about 10,000 of those. Currently, we do not have enough rooms, and they are not finished yet, as you can see by that slide, <laughs> as we're building the new ones. The hole's a little bigger since I put the slide in there, by the way. Um, so we have to move as quickly as we can. If uh, patients are put up in the rack and uh, we know you have to go see them, uh, one thing that really annoys me as a staff physician is somebody's doing email or they're calling somebody on the phone and there's patients to be waiting. Um, I don't expect anybody to be in that rack longer than 15 minutes, as many residents and staff as we have this year. So that's kind of the, the standard and setting. So you guys are the first to hear that. The grease board, uh, this is kind of fun. The rest of this talk is less me talking down to you and more talking with you. So. If you have questions, <laughs> please uh, shout them out. This is our newest electronic edition. We've had it about two months. Um, I don't know if you've been down the emergency room to see this yet, but it's, it's really actually pretty cool. Um, it's a great communication tool, and it helps us keep track of all the comings and goings in the emergency department. Your main job as a resident, number one, is to sign up for the patient when you go see them. Um, don't, you don't really want to wait until after you come out of the room, because then your time looks like you've waited 15 minutes to go see the patient. So sign up to them for, ahead of time. Um, let the registration staff know they can go in there and do their job and then uh, document when you've consulted people or, and when you discharge them. And I'll show you these things here in a minute. So to get to the grease board, when you sign on IPR, does anybody sign on IPR? I know Chris probably knows, but the rest of you been on? Okay. Everybody has this thing called dashboards and under dashboards is ETC grease board. Um, sometime when you're down there I'll show you how the ETC grease board will pop up automatically for you when you open IPR, but uh, for now if you have to get to it, that's how you do it. Uh, go to there and click on that. This is what the grease board display looks like. Um, all these columns across the patient, patient number, the check-in time, and the, uh, the ticker there all kind of automatically go in. The other stuff we have to add in uh, manually. Right now the, uh, the three columns called lab results, radiology results, and vitals aren't functional. They will be in the future. You just have to work them into the, the system. 
So the room column will turn red if they've been out in the waiting room for longer than 15 minutes. Um, that's not your problem if that happens. That's the uh, charge nurse, and uh, they know they have to get those out of there before those red na uh, those names turn red. Uh, but once it uh, uh, it's been well, actually 15 minutes goes yellow, 30 minutes is red. Sorry, and we have the same system for uh, when uh, physicians residents sign up. Uh, the nursing column there will turn yellow at 15 minutes, red at 30 minutes. I don't think the nurses ever get there unless they forget to put their name in there. And then uh, our column is in the middle for you guys. Once you sign up, then both these columns will lose their color. So. And you can always tell how long somebody's been in there. You see, see that says 407 minutes? That's because this is a, a practice thing and they never got discharged. And we had some that were like 2,300 minutes. But uh, you can tell how long people have been there. They've been like three hours or two hours. And it, it's really a nice cue to say, you know what, we've got to get move on and get these patients out of here. To add yourself, if you're signed on IPR yourself, just click on the blue diamond. Uh, if you're walking around and you see mine signed on and you just want to sign up for it real quick, you can click on the binoculars and put your clip number in or your last name. It'll search for it. You can put it in there. Make sure you click save or it doesn't do it. Um, don't worry about the room number so much. The uh, nurses should take care of that. Uh, the registration buttons, the second thing down, the second arrow, that's our cue to the registration staff to go in there and start collecting money. And in emergency medicine, you really can't do that until you've had what's called a screening exam. And you guys are the screening exam. It means they're stable enough for the person to come in and talk to them. And uh, we do that because we don't want people to say that, uh, you know, well, they wouldn't treat me because I didn't have any money. So make sure you click that button, then they can go in there and do their job. A couple more things that uh, apply to you. The comment section, if you want to leave any notes for the nurses or the staff doc or anything else, you know, say, I called medicine, I'm waiting for them to call back or something like that. Uh, you can put that in the comment section. Um, once you save it, it puts it on there, you can open it up again, erase it, and put something else on there, and it'll change it on there. So it doesn't stay there permanently, it's just there. Um, and then the console button, we like to use this one, especially for family practice and psychiatry, because they are a little slow coming down and, and seeing their patients sometimes, so we know when you call them the first time. Now, it doesn't automatically page them or anything for you, just Rather than writing in your note that I call them at 1415, you can put it on here and we know when, when you call them. And discharging, um, you see that blue color? When you click on the button up here at the top, it says discharge. There's a little button on the top there. It goes this blue color. And that's a cue to the nursing staff that have to go clean the room. So don't ever discharge, a pa I mean, uh, say the patient's room is clean. I think that's the next thing here. That's the uh, nursing job, because once you do that, it's a race, it's gone forever, and we can't put it back in. So <laughs> uh, if you do that, then you have to beg the charge nurse not to kill you, I guess. I don't know. It's a, I've done it a few times, and they're still alive. But um, Try not to get them out of there until they know they're gone. And any of these rooms can move, by the way. So if you move somebody to the chest pain unit, you just change the room number, and that's where the patient goes. And this is just some description of the race board view. You can see that uh, you know people are waiting too long, and there's a consult made, and it lets you know who's in the waiting room. Now the big board won't tell you who's in the waiting room; it'll tell you there's like three patients out there. But uh, we found out that if you put all the patients in the waiting room, that starts scrolling, and just make you sick. So we don't expect that one to show you who's in the waiting room. <laughs> you have to look on regular IPR. Now this is kind of a neat function. Uh, if you were at your computer and you just want to look up the labs real quick. If you right-click on the patient name, this box will come up, and you go right to the, the labs, right to the contact summary, right to the documents. 
Uh, it's much faster than trying to put the patient name in and then going to applications and going down and then finding whatever. And I think this is probably the most popular part of this. The only part that doesn't work yet is the vitals, and that should be coming on sometime this summer when the nurses uh, get their notes online. So we're getting there. Again, there's the uh, the stuff that you guys have to be responsible for on the grease board. Same stuff that I am. But, uh, once you've been down there a few times, it's pretty obvious. Okay, let's uh, forget a moment um, about altruistic reasons for going into medicine. This is a business, and for the next 20 minutes, I'm going to talk to you about the business of emergency medicine. Um, that hole that we're digging out there, the uh, glide scope, the, the residency itself, all paid for by what we do down there and how we collect on those patients. And I know it sounds terrible for me to sit here and, and talk about ripping money out of people, but Really, this is what we got to do to keep the lights on. And once you get out in the real world and you're collecting bonuses, you're going to be happy you heard this part of the lecture. So, three parts of the ER record. Um, and you'll notice there's a lot of threes involved here. HPI, physical exam, medical decision making. All three of them are important in collecting the maximum bill that you can get for any particular diagnosis. So the HPI, there's three parts to this. There are features of the chief complaint, there's the review of systems, and there's the past social and family history. Chief complaint is whatever's causing the most distress of the patient. And an example I like to use is somebody cuts their finger and then passes out because they can't stand the blood. What's really causing the most distress is the syncope, not the bleeding of the finger. Because if you start working up for syncope and then just laser, say, well, it was a finger laceration, then you've spent a lot of time you know, in your effort working up the syncope and not getting any kind of credit for that. So make sure you go with the thing that's really causing the most distress. So here's the eight features of the chief complaint. Someday I will have a quiz on this. <laughs> you know, don't worry about it. my staff can't do it either. Um, onset, location, intensity, quality, timing, context, associated symptoms, and modifying factors. If that sounds familiar, it's probably because it was first year medical school or something. They talk about most of these things. But these are the eight things that Medicare looks at and says you got to have those in there. What you need to do to get a maximum chart, you only need four of those. So it's really actually pretty easy because you say the onset and you say it's severe, you got two before you even get going. And then your chief complaint is actually an associated symptom as well. So if you can't get three on uh, features of the chief complaint in just one sentence, then you're not trying hard enough. So <laughs> we'll go over some examples here in a minute. So there it is, four of eight elements on every chart. Um, I would say I excuse med refills and suture removals because you're not allowed to really charge for those anyway. One big exception, somebody comes in, they're unconscious or agitated or intubated, they're not going to be able to give you a history. What Medicare allows you to do is say, patient was brought in actively seizing, no other history obtained will do the patient's mental status and acuity. That counts as a level five history. And in fact, you don't have to do review of systems or past history, social history, family history, anything else. You can just write that. And the one thing they do make you do, uh, the caveat to this, is if paramedics come in and give you a history, you have to document that part of the history. Family comes in and gives you some history, you should document that part. So you're not allowed to completely slide. We do get the guys that come off the street from the police and all we got is patient found on the street unconscious, that's the whole history. And uh, you know, you get a level five out of it. Probably not gonna get paid, but you know, but <laughs> it'll make it easier for you when you're documenting things. Uh, the review of systems is the part that uh, most people miss. Um, it results in a smaller bill. To get what we call a level five, which is the maximum bill, you have to list 10 systems. That is very hard to do if you're trying to write them out or dictate them uh, to make sure you cover 10 systems. Uh, you might be able to do it for one chart, but by the time you've done 30 charts, you're kind of 
maybe done three systems on each patient. Um, but Medicare allows you to do this. Uh, no chest pain, shortness, breath, fever, all their systems reviewed and otherwise negative. And uh, that counts as covering 10 systems. The caveat to this, make sure you actually review 10 systems with the patient. The best way of doing this uh, to make sure you're not committing fraud, and this is the Eric Dixon method, is you go over as many systems as you think is pertinent and you say, is there anything else bothering you? So if they ever come back to you later and say, well, you didn't cover all the systems, well, you ask them if there's anything else. And that, that counts, actually. Um, we want you to do on our charts, cover at least three systems, and then you can do the all other systems negative. Um, that just proves that you at least ask some questions and we don't have any trouble with uh, compliance later on. This is probably the easiest part to complete, mainly because most of the people we see have a chart already. You just cut and paste it in uh, from the other IPR documents, and your senior residents will show you how to do this, or Chris will probably show you. He knows how to do it. <laughs> um, you only need two of the three, and it's e as easy as saying no significant history, non-smoker, and you've covered it, and that's enough for a level five chart. Uh, the only uh, addition is that for chest pain, in order to get the maximum bill for the chest pain unit, we do need to have family history on that. So that's really the only time you actually have to ask a family history in the emergency room for a chest pain patient. And that question is, anybody in your family have heart attacks before the age of 55? And they say, nope, you're done. So a quick review. Always have four elements of chief complaint in your HBI. Always have 10 systems in the review systems. And always have two of the three of the past family social history. So physical exam, they're required to evaluate and document eight systems. Um, this should be done on really every chart that you see. And if you look at the forms we have, uh, the template forms we have on IPR, every single one of them has eight to ten systems on it, so you'll always cover it if you at least use the forms. Um, if you want to do your own written, you know, physical exam, just make sure you cover eight systems. And vital signs counts the system. Um, it's the general appearance of the patient, basically, uh, constitution. And um, that counts as a system, so you can get through it pretty quick. And I've always joked with Eric that you can walk in a room and get eight systems because you can say no scleral electris, skin looks normal, color warm and dry, no respiratory distress, no or signs of extremity injury, and that's four already. And you know, they're oriented times three, you know, they're walking, that's neurological, normal mood and affect, so you can get seven or eight without even laying a hand on the patient, which makes this kind of a joke, but um, you can get there. So medical decision making, I'm not going to hold you as responsible for. But this is where our coders make their living because it's very complicated and, and I even have trouble with this part. You have to go to classes to kind of figure out exactly where everything lies on this. Um, the coders keep us from going to jail because they don't let us overbill. And uh, <laughs> they do make sure we get appropriate codes. But to make their lives easier, there's something you should always add to your chart. Pertinent lab results. Um, always put your EK EKG interpretation on there. Uh, any radiology interpretations, whether it's yours or if it's a radiologist that calls you. And then uh, if you consult with anybody or if you use past medical records to help make a decision. All that stuff counts in, in the medical decision-making process and lets you get a bigger bill. ED course, this is the, uh, the narrative at the end of the, the chart. Where I really want you to, to let your colleagues up on the floor, say Dr. Bond, for example, <laughs> maybe, maybe to know what the heck you did down in the emergency room. Like you gave them antibiotics and you thought about appendicitis, but it really wasn't. And you called surgery and they said it wasn't. And, they're going to admit them from abdominal pain to medicine, so they know what the heck we did. And uh, this is probably the most useful part for them upstairs. Okay, so all ETC records on IPR. Rotating residents especially are not allowed to dictate. You guys are probably sometime in the middle of this year, we're going to let start using the dictaphones. But uh, for now, I want you to learn 
on the, the system while you're doing a couple patients at a time. I really get these charts down and, and get the elements of the charts. And uh, I don't think you can do that if you're seeing eight patients an hour and trying to dictate all of them. So for now, we're not going to let you dictate unless the IPR is down, and then we'll teach you how to use that uh, as we go along here. So some of the IPR options, you sign on, uh, you get the patient right off the grease board, makes it easy. So here's where you go, contact summary. This is where everything happens on IPR. Um, the emergency service record is the first one that pops up. If you don't see this, you need to change department and go to an emergency treatment center, but it probably means you're on the wrong visit, so get some help from somebody that's around you. Um, doesn't happen very often, but this is the screen you should see. You do a procedure, you can use the procedure note. Basically, those first two things are the ones you almost always use. You shouldn't use really anything else. You'll get this screen after you select the, the, uh, uh, the type of note you want to do. You are the initial reviewer, so add yourself. Always add your staff as the final re reviewer. Um, if you do that, it'll automatically put staff and resident fellow as the button down there. And that's not as important because we don't rely on that statement that it adds. So. Um, mouse click on the chief complaint. So right now you can't see it. The cursor is right on chief complaint. And when you click on it, you get that screen. And the most important part of it is run form chief complaint. Now, if you notice at the bottom of that, it says view history of chief complaint from other documents. For the guys that haven't used IPR from other systems, you can see the notes, especially like HPI, past history, social history, all the notes that have ever been on that patient. You can see what's been done before. And for social history, you might just want to copy it in. So that's the other neat, useful shortcut you can get out of that. Uh, so anyway, you hit run form chief complaint. So you, you'll see this, and this is the first screen you'll get. And the first thing they'll ask you, is this person history limited? And remember that caveat where it says it's a history, a limited history? This will automatically put that statement in there. It'll say this patient's history limited by acuity, this patient's history limited by mental status. Um, that way you know you've got that in your note if, it, if the patient's not able to give you history and you don't have to worry about it later on. Um, we have a lot of different chief complaints. We're always adding new ones. Um, these things are uh, pretty basic. They'll get you the, the elements of the chief complaint the, uh, and the physical exam, as well as the review system. Uh, if there's something you really want, we'll add it. Um, just got to keep adding new ones. Uh, Dixon likes to use just a general complaint form, so it's kind of blank, and you just kind of add stuff as you go along. You do need to finish out the past history, social history, and family history, as well as the ED course assessment and plan if you use the form. And only do the, the history, the review systems, and the physical exam for you. The shortcuts that I like to use, if you put the blue T that's just under the edge of the box there, it's, it actually means, means templates, and you get that thing and say, say add templates. This is the screen you get. Um, under ETC General Adult Document, you see the HPI, Normal Physical Exam, Normal Review of the Systems. Um, if you pull those into your note, this is what you get. And you get the, the eight elements. For me, this is actually the fastest way to document it, even faster than the forms, because I can fill out four of those lines, erase the rest of them, and I'm done. And the physical example is a normal physical exam in that has, covers 10 systems, and then I can just erase the ones I don't want or change the ones that are abnormal. And if you do that, you'll find yourself going pretty quick on those. So practice with them, see which one you like better. You can also type it, but I wouldn't recommend it. It's kind of like kind of long form. <laughs> gets a long time. IPR goes down. You guys will all have clip numbers for the emergency room to use as well as uh, long distance passwords. 
Uh, for you guys that are rotating through, you should have, you'll have one of these generic clips. I don't think this will happen very often because IPR is only down like five minutes every other week now and you don't have to do too many charts and then every once in a while it'll go down for three hours and you may have to dictate something. So uh, that's when you pick up the phones and the directions for that will be by the staff physician computer downstairs in the ER. Uh, miscellaneous IPR stuff. The hospital passed a policy that all x-ray requests had to go through IPR so you have to do them electronically. Uh, unfortunately nobody's really following that policy <laughs> and what happens is that uh, people will put the little stickers on the x-ray requests and they won't go through so make sure you if you do use the x-ray recs, which are the yellow forms downstairs, that you make sure that's on every one of those carbon copies and not just the top page. I would recommend that you just use IPR because it makes it easier for everything. You can do the labs online. It's not an official policy. You don't have to. But uh, I think once you start doing x-rays and your, your documentations, it's actually easier to do all of it that way. Um, this is how you get to that. Um, when you do your contact summary and you're doing IPR, the, uh, it's on the documentation tab there see this one it'll normally be over there and then when you flip out if you look over here it says e-orders you can just click on that while you're doing your note and then this screen will come up and you'll see on the side it says common lab orders radiology procedures diagnosis and orders and I've also got some other templates on there that has order sets for like uh, head bleeds and um, also psychiatry so there's psychiatry overdose so you get all the stuff for that and you can pull it over at once so you don't have to pick and choose and it makes it a lot easier chest pain is a big one so you click and drag. Uh, so you got to bring a diagnosis over first. Um, the, the order sets have the diagnosis with them. makes it a lot easier. But you have to have a diagnosis. Uh, open up the labs. Pull all the labs you want. Just drop them right on that diagnosis. And then it prints out. You have to sign it, actually. Um, where it's, I don't have those on here. But if you see where it says uh, trauma, green, red, yellow, those are order sets down there at the bottom and that pulls over all the labs that trauma wants for the different levels of trauma and uh, we'll have those for x-rays and for different uh, more and more different different diagnoses so it makes it easier for you so you don't have to go hunt and peck quick for things. Uh, all this stuff prints out in that printer right by the clerk's desk including the prescriptions. There's a, like I said there's some that have all the tests ordered with it. Uh, make sure the nurses know about your orders. Uh, if you just put it in the box um, sometimes they won't see it for a while. So there's a function on the grease board, you can say orders pending. Sometimes they don't see that. So if you see the nurse say, hey, I've got some lab orders, and they'll, they'll take care of that. The other thing you need to know is that there are no verbal orders in emergency room unless someone's coding. And uh, um, people still try to violate that, and it really leads to a lot of frictions with the nurses. So make sure you write all your orders down, the ones that have to be written, or you put them on the electronic system and hand them to the nurse. Uh, they should not do anything unless they have a written order. So getting stuff done, we're almost done. Quick half an hour here. So. Um, work with your nurse very closely. Make sure they're informed. Even if it seems like you know they should know what's going on, just let them know. You know, I consult in medicine. I'm waiting on a bed, so you know they don't think that you're just kind of ignoring their patient. They get very hurt and upset about that. Uh, keep on tap of your labs and X-rays. It's kind of tough to do that because X-rays usually come back uh, fairly quickly. Um, labs can take up to an hour. You know, if you see something that's not quite right and it's not getting through, make sure you call the lab and say, hey, did you get my lab specimen? Um, they'll say, no, we didn't. It's probably stuck in the tube system. And then you can get a reorder rather than waiting two hours for, it to, for something that didn't come back. And as soon as you make a disposition, do it. Uh, one thing I've noticed that, that people like to do is for every lab test to come back before they call a consultant down. 
Uh, for orthopedics, it's pretty easy. You got the x-ray, they're down there. Um, they don't care about the CBC or the cetrate or anything else. Uh, sometimes when you admit a patient to medicine, you want to have those last little couple eyes dotted and T's crossed. And you know, if they need to be admitted, especially if they need to be in the unit, and you got a blood gas and they look sick and you know the diagnosis, time to go if you don't have to do any more procedures. Um, no sense waiting for a CBC that won't change the outcome. I think that's pretty much it. Any questions? I know it was a lot of stuff to throw at you in 30 minutes. It prints out in the computer, and what I'm hoping to get done this year is that it'll print out to the, the clerks, and then they'll give it to the nurses. Okay. Uh, one of the reasons your colleagues from last year didn't like it so much is because then they still had to hand it to the nurses. Uh, but what does make it easier is that our ABGs, our cultures, our labs, our special labs all go on different pieces of paper. And if you do it on the computer, it puts them on one piece of paper and tells the nurse which tubes they got to use. And uh, you don't have to go hunting for a piece of paper, stamping them. There's no losing forms. Uh, actually, CTs um, can stay on the chart because the uh, NA will pick it up and take it over to, to the, uh, the CT uh, technician. The only ones that really go over there are the plain films. Uh, the clerks get the plain films. Everything else stays on the chart. I think once you practice with it a little bit, you learn to like it. At least I do. I know I'm kind of strange technophile, so it's, uh, you know, some people hate computers. So they don't like to do anything on the computer. But. Um, I think it's a lot easier myself. Plus, I can't write legibly. So. Medication orders, those Actually, the medication orders we haven't got online yet. That might get done before the end of your residency or might not. <laughs> um, so I'll have to write those out. Um, there's an order sheet. And that's, a, that's the only sheet I actually stamp anymore is, is the, uh, the medication order sheet. I'll write that stuff on there and hand it to the nurse. But everything else I do on the computer. It's helpful if you do. Um, shows that you were part of that medical decision making. So if you write it on the bottom of the chart, especially AccuChecks, which we can bill for, but the IVs, as long as you wrote IV, you know, one liter normal saline on top, you don't have to write start IV again. That's probably the best way to keep, yeah. Um, you know, a lot of people have trouble um, balancing things. And uh, what happens is you'll see four or five patients and you'll forget that you didn't do the charts and um, you know, you have a cup of coffee, you'll talk about some things, and you go, oh crap, I got all these charts finished at the end of my shift. So, I tell people is when you have downtime, you know, if you have a moment to sit down, you should sit down in front of a computer and try to get some of this stuff done. I mean, a lot of the stuff is just blindly pulling things over into your chart and, and typing things in, and uh, you know, you can go back later and, and make it look good, as long as you have the information down there to, to uh, finish the chart, so later when your mind is a little bit more numb, you don't have to try to remember all these things.